My name is Wilson Adams, and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about people. All of which says, we don't care who you are. We don't care what you've done or where you're from. We just care that you're here today. And we will love you, and we will point you to the one person who will change your life. And his name is Jesus. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the message of this book is that you matter to God. It's so good to be with you today, and I've enjoyed the weekend, and it's been very busy, and I really enjoyed our time together with young people last evening, and they are such an encouragement to me, and I know they are to you, and I've enjoyed getting acquainted with many of you. If I haven't met you before, I certainly want to do that after the services are over in just a few moments. Help me finish this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the loves me so. You know that knowing that and embracing that are two different things? And we can sing that song so easily and the words just flow off of our lips. And yet for some of us, it's too good to be true. For some of us, it's hard to embrace that. Why is it so hard to believe that God could love someone like me? I want you to take this book, and I want you to go back to the very beginning in chapter 3 of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1, read with me just a few verses. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and gave to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them We're open. We'll stop there. God creates the world in six glorious days. And the first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, live in paradise, this beautiful garden where everything is perfect. And then Satan shows up. And when Satan shows up, if you will look very carefully at verse 1, He shows up with an innocent-sounding question. He says, in essence, in verse 1 to Eve, he said to her, did God really say that? 
Did God really say that? And suddenly insecurity makes its debut. And to her credit, Eve responds correctly at first. And then she reconsiders. And then she rationalizes. And then suddenly everything changed. What's interesting to me is Satan's M.O. Satan did not approach Eve and just blatantly tempt her. Satan didn't say to Eve as he, as he spoke to her, hey, why don't you leave your husband and run off with me to Vegas and let's make one of those girls go on wild, wild videos. That, that's not, not what he did. That's not how Satan works. He's smarter than that. He's more subtle than that. All he did was plant a little weed seed of doubt. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? You know, that question is hauntingly familiar to a lot of people. Because there are modern versions of the same. Did God really say you are loved? Did God really say that you don't have to do more than everybody else? Be more than everybody else? Have more than everybody else? Did God really say that you don't have to keep earning and earning and earning your way so that he will like you? Did God really say that? And just like Eve, we respond correctly because we know the right answer. And then we reconsider or we listen to the voices of others and then everything changes. Think what a difference it would have been when, at, when, when, when Satan said, did God really say that? And Eve responded, yes, God said it, and I believe it. That's the end of the whole thing. Or she said, no, I'm not going to stand here and listen to your subtle lies. Things would have been different. But what if we did the same thing? What if we said to him, yes, God really did say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, God really did say that he loves me with an everlasting love. Yes, God really did say that I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Yes, God really did say that I don't have to keep earning and earning and earning his grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is God's gift. If we believe those things, it would change everything. It would replace Satan lies with God truth. It would replace our doubt with faith. It would replace our insecurity with confidence. But the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, we tend to listen to his lies. Because from the moment you take your first breath, Satan is trying to suffocate you with those lies. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 44, He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. And you open your Bible and you don't have to get past Genesis chapter 3 and there he shows up and he's lying to you. And he's planting doubt in your mind. Did God, did God really say that? You know, sometimes Satan uses other people to lie for him. Like a parent who tells a child, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. 
Or a sibling who says, you'll never amount to anything. Or a peer who says, you don't fit in here. You don't fit in anywhere. Why don't you just disappear? And the sad thing is we listen to those words and those words wound us and they sink deep in our hearts and they crack our hearts and our hearts bleed and they hurt. What's the old saying? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whoever wrote that never went to middle school. <laughs> words do hurt. And when these words are strong in our souls, they wound us deeply. You're so ugly. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to be with you. Nobody wants to be around you. God may forgive everybody else, but He's not going to forgive you. And the only thing worse, the only thing that hurts worse than hearing those words is when you and I begin to believe them. In John the 8th chapter, Two times it says Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. You're familiar with the passage. The woman taken in adultery is cast before Jesus. Where the man was, nobody knows. He escaped out the window, I guess. It was a setup deal. And Jesus writes on the ground as they're accusing her. And the question that's always in the minds of people, wonder what he wrote? It says he wrote on the ground. What did he write? And most people think, well, he probably wrote the sins of the accusers, and that well may be. But I'll tell you, whatever Jesus wrote on the ground, it was truth. I know that. But maybe, what if Jesus wrote on the ground for her benefit? What if Jesus wrote on the ground the words, You are loved. What if Jesus had written on the ground to the woman, you are forgiven? What if Jesus had written, you are mine? You are accepted. Would that not be truth? I wish there were, I, I, I wish there were times that we had more information. I wish John would, would show us her face. Because my guess is the face of this woman would have been filled with tears. Happy tears of freedom and grace and release. But I will tell you what Jesus did for her, He will do for you. And He will take those lies of Satan and He will cover them over with His love. But the question is, who are you going to believe? And sadly, there's a lot of people who believe the lies. If you've got something to write with this morning, I want to leave you with five lies Satan tells us that we tend to believe. There are five lies that Satan tells us that we tend to believe. Lie number one. You have to be perfect to be loved by God. You have to be perfect to be loved by God. We talked in our Bible class this morning about bearing the fruit of joy. You, think, you talk about something that's joy-stealing. It's that mindset. And we wear ourselves out trying. And those who try to do that like to quote Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
And when we fall short of that and it happens, then we just keep trying even harder and we fall again and it happens again and again. And I'll tell you what that verse is telling us is God is the standard. And what that verse is telling us, without a standard, we would have nothing by which to measure ourselves. That's what that verse is telling us. But there are two important things that these perfectionist people fail to understand. And they are both found in the same verse. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, the writer helps us understand all of this. And he says, Hebrews 10, 14, For by one offering He, Jesus has perfected for all time, past tense, those who are being sanctified, present tense. He says you have already been perfected. Is that a typo? Or is that truth? My friend, that's truth. There is only one who is perfect. To be perfect, I would have to be Him. And I'm not Him. And so how am I perfected? The only way I can ever be for perfected is to be in Him. It's like Jesus takes perfectionism to the foot of the cross and says, we'll just leave it right here. I'll take it from here. Let my blood be shed for you. And you talk about a grace release. You talk about a grace release. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the only way I can be perfected is to be forgiven and washed and sanctified and justified by the blood that fell on that cross. And that's what the Hebrew writer is saying. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's present tense. That's talking about the process that you and I go through as growing up as a Christian. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, Peter ends the second letter that he wrote by saying, you need to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you need to grow and there's still room for you to grow, then you haven't reached perfection, have you? Or in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and love is kind. And and there's that list, the definitive of what love would be if it were personified as a person. And you go down through that list in 1 Corinthians 13. Have you perfected every one of those things? No. And neither have I. We have room to grow. Or Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. Have you perfected all of those? No. No. You haven't. You still have room to grow. Or 2 Peter chapter 1, the Christian graces. There's another list of of attributes that Christians are supposed to have. And I don't know anybody who can read those and say, hey, check those off. I've, I've, I've perfected every one. You have not. We grow and we grow some more. You see, there's a big difference between this idea of perfection and God's idea of growth. Perfection is all or nothing. Growth happens a little bit at a time. Perfection is all about outward appearances. I want to look the part of the person who's perfected all of this. And God knows better. Perfectionism is what happens when we think we have to do and do and do so God will like us. When we adopted our kids, the oldest girl really struggled with this. 
because she kept trying to do and do and do so that we would like her. And it took a long time to convince her that you don't have to do that. And that's the message God's trying to get over to me and to you too. I want to show you a verse that's really helped me with this, and that's Proverbs 4 and verse 18. I looked at it one day and I thought, that's it. That's it. Proverbs 4 and verse 18. But the path of the righteous. Here is a person who's trying to serve God, live righteously. The path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full of the day. He says the path of the, of the righteous is like the sun that breaks the horizon. And yet when it breaks the horizon, it's not at full strength. That's why they call it dawn. But the longer the day goes and the higher the sun gets, the brighter that it becomes. And that's the way it is with you and me. We all have peaks and valleys. We make progress and we slip up and we make progress. But slowly we gain new wisdom and we develop our spiritual muscles and we learn more about Him and we lean more into Him and we grow. And eventually, like the sun, we shine. But it doesn't always happen all at once. One woman wrote this. I know perfection. She calls my name and says that I will never be good enough. And sometimes I listen that I cower in a corner or endlessly run, but it's always about fear. Then these words stop me in my tracks and grab me by my heart and invite grace to speak to me instead. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. I've learned I don't have to be perfect. I only need to be perfectly loved. And I am. And so are you. That's one of the lies of Satan. That I have to be perfect or God's not going to like me. Lie number two. I need to be more like, and you fill in the blank of the person that you think goes in that blank. I need to be more like that person. And so we go through life and we keep comparing and comparing and comparing ourselves to everyone else. How am I doing compared to him? How am I doing compared to her? And social media feeds that mindset. You know, I, my office is at home and so I go make, me a, I go make my lunch some days and I go, in the, I go in the pantry and at third shelf high level I find my peanut butter eventually. And I make me a PBJ, and I'm sitting there eating my sandwich. And I look on Facebook or something, see how, what's going on in the world. And, and here's a buddy of mine. He's sitting down at this barbecue place that I love, and he's sending me a picture of his lunch. And I got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm thinking, man, that looks good. Or somebody gets a new car. Or somebody gets a new house. Or somebody gets a new dress. Or somebody gets a new whatever it is. Somebody goes on a cruise, and I'm thinking, man, all I can afford is a canoe. <laughs> and we compare ourselves with everybody else. We've got to stop that. Your life will never be happy until you stop the compare. 
Why? Because your story belongs exclusively to you. Your strength is yours. Your skills are yours. And yet Satan whispers in our ears and he says to us, you're not pretty enough compared to... You're not outgoing enough compared to. You're not talented enough compared to. You're not likable enough compared to. You're not smart enough compared to. You don't do enough compared to. You know what those are? They're lies. And you let Satan start hanging out in your head and telling you those lies. And if you're not careful, you're going to start believing that junk. Lie number three, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to offer. And so we focus on all of the stuff we can't do rather than focus on the things we can do or that God can do through us. There's a lot of stuff I can't do. But maybe there's some things I can do. And one of Satan's biggest lies is to convince us that we don't have anything to offer. That we are giftless. Read 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10 says God gives gifts to every person. You're not left out of the gift department. You just have to find yours. And then he says use it in the service to one another. Stop believing that lie that you don't have anything to offer. Number four is the lie that says I am who others say I am. And so we tend to accept as gospel truth what somebody else says about us. So I'm going to give you a really weird idea to think about. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're wrong. At some point I have to decide, am I going to listen to these, am I going to listen to these voices or am I going to listen to his voice? I don't have to be who others say I am. Because their opinion of me doesn't matter. What matters is God's opinion of me. And lie number five. I am damaged goods. I am damaged goods. I am permanently scarred. Ladies and gentlemen, that may be the biggest lie of all. No one has ever messed up as much as me. No one has ever been as broken. No one has ever been as wounded. No one has ever been as hurt as me. No one would ever want me. No one will ever be able to use me. No one will ever love me. God will never forgive me. Guess who's telling you that? And if you listen to that, please understand, you're not the first person to ever listen to that. I wonder if a woman taken in adultery, I wonder if she thought that. Or I wonder if the thief on the cross thought that. Or I wonder if the prodigal that we just sung about, I wonder if he thought that. Remember the prodigal story? Remember the father in the prodigal story? And he comes running to embrace his his long lost son. And ladies and gentlemen, that son, that child is you, and that father is your father. And his message to you in the gospel is that you are much more than likable. You are loved. 
And you are much more than just pretty. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. And you are much more than just okay. You are forgiven. And forgiven, you have become a daughter of the king, a son of the king. But Satan keeps whispering these lies into our ears because he doesn't want us to discover the truth. Because if he, he knows that if we discover the truth, we will be unstoppable. And he doesn't want that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I dare you. I dare you. I faith dare you to stop listening to Satan's lies. And start embracing the truth. The truth that Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That, my friends, that's the truth. You see, it really doesn't matter where you've been. It really doesn't matter what you've done. The only thing that matters is what you're doing right now. The only thing that matters is if your life is in tune with God. Jesus came and died for you so that you can die to sin and live for him. Have you been baptized for the remission of those sins so that you can stand with God's Son? Have you done that? Or have you lost your focus? What matters is what you do with it right now. And if we can help you in any way, we will love you more than you can ever imagine. Because God loves you more than you can ever imagine. Won't you come while we stand and sing?